Welcome to the Millennial Pastor Podcast, where we talk about the intersection between faith and culture. I'm your host, Josiah. And I'm your co-host, Byron. Byron. I am. Yeah, yeah, I'm aware. Thanks, pal. Thanks for being the talent per usual. I'm I'm racking my brain. You're welcome. I'm racking my brain. And since I know you operate as the talent and you don't really do stuff, um, I'm trying to remember if we need to apologize for anything from, from last week's episode. I don't believe so. Um, I think we did pretty good. We're Maybe. getting better about this. <laughs> but this, that means that this segment might have to go away if we actually become slightly more well, the polished other thing is professional. I don't know. So uh, look under the hood or behind the curtain, whichever. Um, that episode for quote unquote last week hasn't come out yet because we're actually ahead of the game. That's right. So, so we're, we're getting there's a little more nothing, professional. We, we can't even like see complaints online or anything. So maybe we missed something, but I think we did pretty good. So basically what Byron is saying, please feel free to let us know what we should have apologized for in the comments. Can you leave comments on podcasts? I honestly don't know. I mean, you, well, you could do it on our Facebook or our Twitter. Like when we, when we talk about the episode and promote it, you can always be like, oh, by the way, Josiah said whatever and byron's an idiot i don't know you could just you know i mean that would be a fair assessment i'm gonna probably say it's probably accurate so i'm not gonna yeah that's fair (laughs) (laughs) well eventually uh eventually maybe we'll we'll continue this thread this segment of our show with next week with whatever we say today maybe today's episode we'll say something that we'll have to apologize for next week and you get to look forward to that but until then, we're going to continue with the show with our sponsor plug in. And again, folks, if you haven't heard, we, we actually are. And if, you, if anyone out there actually has a connection, hook it up. But we would love, for the sake of comedy and comedy alone, to be sponsored by Avocados from Mexico. And or honestly, California or just, just avocados in general. And we're like, not even really from anywhere. We're it's not cool. even looking to like get rich or anything. We just want to be able to say we officially because how ironic would that be to be? We would be the most podcast. millennial podcast of all time of, if we were sponsored by avocado and like in brackets toast. Exactly. That like, would, so every time we do the sponsors, we're like avocados by Mexico toast. Exactly. <laughs> That'd be great. So until then, you're stuck with. Um, I guess I'll say regular sponsors because I don't want to lose our regular sponsors either. So I'm not going to begrudge oh, them. I, I did tell you just so I think that my mom wants to sponsor a podcast. So that's awesome. That's kind of like living in her basement, I think. Dude, when your mom sponsors your podcast. That so. will maybe next week. It can be <laughs> sponsored by Byron's mom. That would be epic. Sponsored by Lydia. That'd be pretty great, actually. I kind of want to do that just for that that sponsor. Yeah. Thanks, Mama Certain. We love it. So, But this week, we're going to have a regular sponsor. Here's the plug. Since we're well, such professional podcasters. Um, that was that, fantastic. That's what, The enthusiasm what, is just dripping off of your I really vocal hope, cords, I, I really hope they never listen to my actual sponsor pitch, because we, <laughs> of any of them, because we will 100% lose our sponsors. So We did pretty and, good with audio. Audible. I can't even say it right now. Wow. I don't know. We one suck. of the one We're of the weeks one of the weeks I fully said I don't want to read the dumb sponsor plug, so just go and do the audible thing. But that's, that's true, cool. you did. <laughs> With that being said, we're gonna transition to our guest. If you're if you're new to the podcast, then you may not know we are millennials that 
are either currently or have been in ministry, and we like to talk about faith, but also culture. And we like to have guests on the show weekly who are in that same arena of life that are either, in quotes, millennial. We'll prove that. We'll see if they really are, or at least in ministry. So this week's guest is Cody. Cody, are you with us? Yes, I am with you guys. What's going on? What's up, Cody? Thanks for being on the show. Welcome. Thanks for being here. My pleasure, my privilege. So give us your full name if you don't mind. Okay. Give us just your job title. Give us your location. And then finally, give us your age. Yes, finally. Okay, so my name is Cody James White, and I threw that middle name in there. I don't know if that was supposed to be. I mean, that's what what Mo did, right? right? And that's exactly why I did it, except for I only have one uh, disciple middle name. (laughs) What do you say? Like. Two. Yeah, he's got two because he's what special. Bartholomew James or whatever his name was. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. So my, my I am a lead pastor uh, right now, currently fresh baby, as you would call it. Um, I am technically uh, I live in two locations right now. My physical location is Modesto, California, but I also live in Bakersfield, California. I'm a commuting pastor, and, uh, and finally, your church, your church is in Modesto. My church is in Modesto. Yeah, Modesto, California. Uh, I live with my family in Bakersfield, California. It's about a three-hour difference, uh, three-hour drive up to 99. And, uh, yeah, last but not least, my age, I am 31 years old. So so tell us, tell us if you have, uh, I guess, enough self-awareness to do so. How millennial do you think you are? Uh, I don't think I'm millennial at all. Like, I don't. Um, I think I'm millennial by age only. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think I would check off any of the boxes. Have you I, heard, I mean, have you heard the questions we've asked in past podcasts? Well, are they the same ones? They're, I mean, I've only listened probably like twice, three or four times. I did listen to Moe's and like, I could tell you all right off the bat, right? I don't want to answer it. Cause it may be messing up on your questions, but like I'd answer no to majority of those. Okay. Well, we change them every week. There you go. We recycle at least a little bit. Yours is pretty different from those for sure. Okay. So yeah, well, yeah, no, I hope we, so. We sometimes try to cater them to the guest just to stack the deck against them. But yes. other times we just kind of are grasping at straws because there either are new headlines that come out or new things, new trends that emerge that are supposedly millennial in nature. So it's not always the same. Some of them are absolutely going to be repeats, but that's just how we roll. And to be fair, Mo is so millennial, even though he's not millennial. <laughs> it was pretty easy pickings, and I got to pick them all, and, like, it wasn't that hard he to is. set him up. Yours is, like, yeah. I don't know you personally, but yours is a little more, it's about real stuff more than just, yeah. like, avocado and LaCroix. On, yeah, on toast or whatever. No, yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm By all, like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty boring guy, I would say. Like, I'm not the most, uh, yeah, entertaining individual, so I'm... Yeah. Awesome! It's going to be a straight shot. Sorry, you guys, this podcast is going to suck this week. G- glad to have you on the show this week, Cody. <laughs> hey! <laughs> With that, We're really glad you're here and excited and really, you know, just supporting it. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. My, yeah, I'm all right. I'm a, I'm a funny guy, I guess. Well, with that super encouraging sentiment, are you ready to play How Millennial Are You, Cody? It depends. People probably aren't even listening anymore after I said that. <laughs> like, great. Well, yeah, I'm ready. Oh, I'm ready. Because uh, I'm what you guys are, I'm, you're setting me up to fail. So let's do it. Hopefully. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> 
time to embarrass me. But jo- you know, Millennial Pastor Podcast. I'm where like, we set up our guests to fail. I'm more awkward than anything, so I can't get any more embarrassed. Of, you know, I live my life. Dude, I revel. I revel in the awkward. Uh, Challenge yeah. accepted. Let's do it. Byron, Byron is up first, so let's go. All right. Okay. Okay. So the first question: The How Millennial Are You quest, uh, game break is. I mean, you're a millennial, so you you clearly live with your parents' basement, right? Like you have to live with your parents. That's what all of us do. Close. I I live in a trailer. That's, okay. That is That's, what I was hoping for. Okay. Okay. Hold yeah. on. Is it your parents' trailer? Uh, it was my parents' trailer up until about a week ago. <laughs> okay. Now, now I'm bu- now somewhere. I'm I'm bumming off my uh, church board secretary's trailer. So. No. Okay. When you say your parents' trailer, <laughs> does that mean a trailer that belonged to them, but they weren't also currently you weren't cohabitating <laughs> no. with your, your parents? I was or not. No, I was not okay. cohabitating with my parents. It was no. a loner. I it was it. a loner. Yeah. That's... But you, but you're still living in a trailer. Can you explain that situation, please, real quick? Yeah, like, so briefly, but it's it's fun. Briefly, yeah. So uh, since I don't live w- uh, at home with my family, I'm waiting for my wife to finish up school. I live in a trailer in my church parking lot uh, in Modesto, three days out of the week. So you, in theory, well, not even in theory, technically speaking, you were living in your parents' RV trailer half of the week. Not my parents. It used to be my parents' trailer, but not anymore. Yeah. But, but at one point, I did. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So mm-hmm. that obviously if there was a news headline about this, it would be millennial pastor lives in parents basement or, you know, it's trailer or whatever. Slash but, trailer. Yeah. Slash parents property. <laughs> millennial, <laughs> pastor, parents property. millennial pastor bums off of parents still, Absolutely. even though they have a job. That's how yep. that would be misconstrued. Yep. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I was just trying to save a, you know, a few bucks. What Absolutely. All right. So why, so far, you're one for one, Cody. You're a millennial, mm-hmm. man. Oh, wait, wait, that was a question? Yeah, that was a question. We're going to count it. You live oh. in your parents' stuff, dude. That, we're going to – I mean, court, if we were reporting the news, you, that is what we would say I mean, you. either way, you're still not paying for where you're living right now, at least part-time, because obviously I'm sure you, you have some kind of rent or whatever in Bakersfield. But yeah. where you're currently pastoring, you're not paying for your residence. So even though it's not your parents any longer, you're still bumming off somebody. Oh, yeah. Very I'm millennial. Mooch. I, oh, I'm, I'm mooching. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> all right so basically if it's negative it's millennial that's just kind of part of the game so anyways yeah, no, um, get, the next it. one and this is going to be weird so i'm going to let it sit and let that awkwardness just steep in the situation so are you bored <laughs> <laughs> am i bored okay, okay well, so i'll give you context if you need unless no. if, if would you like to answer first are you bored oh i'm bored uh well I have, I mean, when I'm in Modesto, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, oh yeah, I'm bored. If I'm not like, I'm in the office until like seven o'clock, eight o'clock at night. And then I just go sit in my trailer and watch Parks and Rec reruns, you know, so. It's a good uh, show to be watching. Pretty, pretty, pretty bored sometimes, a lot of the times. So, so here's the line. It's actually from a ridiculous BuzzFeed article that says 39 signs that you suffer from millennial boredom, AKA millennial. They like to the millennial and added weird letters at the end to basically say millennials are burnt out in debt and the dreams our parents promised us are dead but worst Ooh. of all we're just bored and then there's 39 pictures of millennial boredom taking over life i guess so that's awesome i think i saw you post that or didn't you like throw a link about <laughs> something, something? Yeah. I, I i'm often sharing <laughs> this nonsense um, uh, okay i just popped it up I, i'm on it right now yes millennial yeah, right? however and, you yeah, pronounce yeah. that word. Yeah, and exactly. Joey Gladstone from Full House is like the first. <laughs> yeah. 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 Is, there's a Facebook page that it posts the same picture of 
Dave Collier, Joey Gladstone every day. That's all That's the group awesome. is, is just this 80s picture, 90s picture of Joey Gladstone every day. I love it. I yeah. guess perfectly embodies how bored millennials are, I guess. There's a Nick Cage version of that, too. It's just the same picture of him every single day. Yeah. Exactly. So, Which seems like a lot of work. But so whatever. basically, you're bored, I guess. So that's a, I guess that's an, another yes. Wait, buddy. time out. Sorry. Uh, so number eight on that is if anybody goes on, it says you bought a plant just to have something to care for. Um, <laughs> let me. I didn't buy myself a plant, but one of my students before I left Ridge, uh, Ridgeview to come to Modesto, uh, they bought me a succulent, and it's sitting on my desk. And I, I Instagrammed it like just recently. His name is Shrek. He's an ogre-eared. Uh, succulent and That's, I take care of them. I totally remember That's seeing fantastic. that. So Every you're, day. You're a bored millennial, dude. There you go. Awesome. All right. Next question. All dude. right. Well, since you're a, a bum and you're living in someone else's trailer, um, does buying a house terrify you? Um, you know what? We are going to be renters for, for a while. So I don't necessarily say I'm fearful, but I definitely know that they don't teach you how to buy a house in school. So I'm not sure. what. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, the internet has told us, so it's gotta be true. That millennials are afraid of commitment. Um, we don't make enough money. And we also, this is the biggest one for me. I'm not super handy around the house. But if I don't know how to fix it, I don't necessarily want to own it. So, you know, <laughs> not being able to fix the thing, but it's your property, so you're responsible for it. So, yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's another thing we're, we're bad at, apparently, is owning homes because of we're afraid of commitment. Yeah. And if, you're, <laughs> if you rent, you don't have, like, you just call the landlord and they fix everything for you. <laughs> Or and they don't, you can complain about it. Exactly. Constantly. That's the flip oh, yeah. side. You just get to be a victim and say, oh, my landlord. Oh, you know, uh, my my landlord at the house we're in now made me tear up my own tree. Like, he asked me, like, hey, can you tear this tree up? And I was like, all right, whatever. So I did it. Did he give you so, a, a, like, discount on no, the must rent? Not at all. He just told me, can you handle it? And so I just did it. But, Look at you being like a Christian or something, just doing it without expecting to be paid for it. Yeah, another jewel in my crown, man. Another hey, what's wrong with you, man? <laughs> <laughs> okay continuing with the theme of uh pretty much nothing this is a complete out of left field question for you yeah um why do you hate j crew j crew yeah am i gonna be am i gonna fail this by even telling you is j crew you mean like the uh the clothing brand i honestly or, don't know sure i believe that's correct it's a or j crew it's like cologne or something why do my I hate follow-up j- question was what is j crew <laughs> so <laughs> i'm pretty sure you're right it's a clothing brand they probably do other stuff too but yeah we're clearly all a little point uh, we don't know uh, i wouldn't but, know i don't know i don't hate j crew but i know what it is and I've, i don't necessarily well, think i've ever you, worn anything but you I'm, did murder it though i hate j crew simply you killed sim- j crew simply by not purchasing j crew I ruined it. Um, things were maybe clothing, maybe, maybe cologne. Cologne. Uh, you. It, so this is the actual article headline. Turns out millennials may really have killed J. Crew, and then it says <laughs> shoulder shrug emoji. Like it literally has that spelled out. It doesn't show it. That's just spelled out, which is just so millennial. But wow, pretty great. So I guess you hate it because you never shop there, according to this particular outlet so well yeah they say because 50 percent of the style of j crew are perfect but then the other 50 percent are too out there left field and so nobody wears it dude you know so much more about this company than i do so yeah no you... i ju- i'm just i just googled it like, oh I just, okay I'm, sorry i had to very out. millennial of you <laughs> very if you don't know something you just google it yeah no that's... and that's what the article said so that's gonna be next week's uh <laughs> that's gonna be next week's millennial thing do you google everything daily <laughs> Oh, All absolutely. right. 
Okay, because you're a millennial, this is clearly true. So I'm just going to expect a yes, but we'll go with it. We'll ask it anyway. Do you fabricate problems in your life just so you can say that you're stressed out like all the cool kids? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sometimes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Well, yes. I mean, I would say I would probably have done it maybe a little bit like, I don't know, uh, two or three years ago when I was like really, really kind of uh, ready to transition out of youth ministry. I feel like sometimes I'd come home. And I would just like add all these things and be like, but this happened and this happened. And so, yeah, at one point, but probably not necessarily so much anymore. <laughs> all right. Well, Rush Limbaugh, I don't, we posted, yes. just saw I posted this last week or this week or it was this week, I guess. But uh, he thinks that we invent stress. But, uh, but because we didn't live through World War II, we don't know what stress is. So we're just a bunch of idiots. But yeah, you know, we don't, you know, student loan debt is at a ridiculous amount. That's not stressful. Um, not being paid well, that's not stressful. Yeah. But war is, which also our generation has lived through because we're in multiple wars that haven't ended. But whatever. Not World War II, so we're not good enough to be stressed. There's some ridiculous list by some unknown researcher group out there that says this is the top 20 things millennials are stressed out about. And the hallmark things are like battery percentage and Wi Fi connection yeah. and. Where is my phone? Like, those are the, I guess, the most 100%. The best stress- part about that article, or actually after you posted the article on our page, someone responded with, to be fair, not having good Wi-Fi is stressful, <laughs> which I love that because it's a little problem. It's definitely a first world type of problem. But at the same time, if your Wi-Fi is not working, like our Wi-Fi was down a couple, one night this week because our, our landlord was working on something and our Wi-Fi went down, um, which is fine. But like for two hours, we didn't have Wi-Fi, and we're like, "What do we do? What are we gonna do tonight?" <laughs> no, that's like we that's can't true. watch Netflix. <laughs> like, can't do anything. Do you want to watch a like a Blu-ray? Because we have some of those. But like, no. do you want to watch a movie like that? No. no. Like, what do we no. do right now? Yeah. No. No. So it, yeah. <laughs> let me just say this. Uh, so, uh, like in the trailer I'm staying in right now, like I have to be like the, the Wi-Fi from the church doesn't reach out there if you're sitting at the table. <laughs> Oh, so you have to, I have to sit like in the corner of the bed area, like tucked <laughs> up against the wall, just so I can like watch anything on my computer. Um, like my, uh, my tablet and my phone don't pick Wi-Fi up, so I can be on my computer in the very far corner. So like, see, yeah, no. that's the opposite of hashtag bless. That's hashtag stressed. Yeah, stressed dude, that's so I that's your Wi-Fi. hashtag stressed reason. So obviously, yeah. that's a yes. You do fabricate problems in your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I can't. I honestly like seriously like yeah. When I'd worked at Ridgeview, uh, the church that I was youth pastoring in in Bakersfield, yeah. When the Wi-Fi went down, we just went home. They're like, okay, you can go home. So I was like, all right, you know. Look, I mean, it's like, and you ask yourself like, how on earth were pastors pastors before Wi-Fi? Did they like read books? Like, you know, obviously. <laughs> oh, dude, all the snide, all the snide retorts I can hear coming right now. Is like, yeah, oh. I mean, th- let's be honest. Like the Bible, yeah, but. You know, uh, <laughs> well, they, they, they had, they had physical copies of commentaries <laughs> in their bookshelves. Yeah, yeah. they couldn't and, just Google it and be like, okay, let's try these different commentaries. So you have so much less resources. But yeah, okay. Here's a question. This is a side question. When you're a youth, when you were a youth pastor, when the Wi-Fi would go down, did people automatically come to you and ask you to fix it? Uh, I would be one of the. Yeah, yeah. Every no, church I ever worked at, I was the first one they'd ask, like, hey, could you look at the internet? And I'm like, yeah, but if it's not, like, local, I can't do anything. Well, could you fix it, though? Like, okay. Yeah. 
Have you no, tried absolutely. turning it on and off again? I was right there. Like, so when I was at, when I was at Ridgeview, um, you know, my pastor, Darren, Darren, if you're listening to this, I love you, but, uh, yeah, he'd call me, he'd call me for everything. Like he'd call me in and like, I don't use pages. He would use pages on his Mac and he's like, can you fix this? I'm like, I don't use pages. Like, sorry, I don't have no idea just cause I'm 30 years old. Doesn't mean I know how to fix every little thing on a um, Mac, or like, right? On a, on a Mac, yeah. Mac. I'm on a Mac right now. You know, absolutely. Uh, but also, you know, like if YouTube videos, he's like, Hey, can you download this YouTube video? And I'm like, Oh, you mean right here, the video button where it says download YouTube, you know, video. <laughs> it's just, yeah, no. <laughs> Been there, man. Oh, that's the best. And also just really annoying. And stressful, yeah. like, I, right, I, Cody? I well, and stressful. Is, oh. I don't know how to do much besides turning it on. Like, okay, unplug it. And then hold on, and then plug it back in. If it doesn't work, it's fine. hard reset. Hard reset. That's yeah, the like, to everything. Yeah, like if it, that doesn't work, uh, sorry, Man, I can't yeah. help you. Throw it away. Just, just throw it away. Trash it, it. You know. Yeah. So dig a hole in the back. Just the burn the building down at that point. Just... It's all a loss. Right? You don't have yeah. Wi-Fi. Burn the whole thing down. Yeah. That's what insurance is for. Uh, okay. Qu- question number. But six. seriously, don't commit fraud. We were don't, kidding. Yeah, don't. don't. I just oh, I, someone's gonna burn down their church arson. and blame it's us. Called and committing so arson. Don't it was do a that. joke. That is that is fraud. Please don't do it. Don't do any of the things that we. Back joke to about. our fun game show. <laughs> question number six <laughs> about stress and oh man, it's weirdly appropriate. It's about burnout. So, um, Cody. Does all of this imagined stress result in the figurative, air quotes, burnout all you hipsters pretend to have? Yes. (laughs) Good answer. Uh, Honest, I like it. Well, it was a very, it was, okay, so it was a general question. I didn't feel like it was, you know, you were asking it specifically to me, but for, yeah, no, I know plenty of millennials out there that, are talking about how about like you know how stressful their jobs are and they work like 28 hours a week and you're like oh seriously come on relax <laughs> yeah i have no. to defend that one a little bit like not defend the the problem like there are people who just can't work a normal job and they're just like it's the no, worst absolutely. thing ever yeah and i may be a little bit hard here too like i've like i mean when, right before you know when i was at ridgeview um yeah, I did college ministry too. And if any of my college students are listening, I love every single one of you. But, uh, <laughs> you know, they talk about like, oh, should work is so, or uh, school is so stressful and they're taking like, you know, one or two classes, three classes. And in my head, I'm like, dude, you guys are crazy. I was working full time and going to school full time and had a relationship full time. And, you know, they're over here worried about, you know, work, going to school three days a week and then having homework and then being able to come to Bible study because their life is all over the place and too crazy. Well, we actually so, had a, a totally there. We had a group member of our Facebook group, um, yeah. not the page, but the millennial pastor group share this really awesome, interesting article about millennial burnout. But it was it was kind of, you know, talked about some of that stuff where it's just like this is fabricated burnout. But it it really focused on the need for just Sabbath and how there are there's a there's a within the millennial generation older millennials that have been adulting for longer and younger millennials who maybe haven't been adulting for so long and how there's this unfortunate problem of a being a millennial and working your rear off and b not even being able to still live off of that and how that c if you complain about it you're called entitled or lazy or not a hard enough worker or whatever so both sides of that coin were kind of addressed in this really long article, which is exactly it's a, this is the what the question is in reference to. It's just um, the real side and the maybe slightly 
fabricated side of millennial burnout in this expectation that when we became adults, if we went to school and got all the right degrees, we would have really good paying jobs and we wouldn't have to live under student debt for the rest of our lives. And we could afford housing and to like pay for our kids to go to the doctor, just like basic things, but how stuff. Yeah, how it turns out that was a massive lie. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so, so I also want to confess how malone I am right now. I started reading that article, and then I saw how long it was, and I quit. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, like at yes. the time, I'll probably go back and read it because it does sound interesting to me. It was a good start. I just like I was looking at it, I was like, and I was tired because it was in the night when I was looking. I was like, yeah, I can't do this right now, and I just gave up. Like I'm burnt out on articles online right now. That's how burnt out I am. I would have done the same thing. I don't see. I don't. <laughs> I don't. And that's probably because I don't read any, like, I'm not caught up in the whole millennial, like, uh, thing, conversation, I guess. All these like, all articles. the, all the, all the stereotypes. Yeah. Like I said, before we got on, I'm like probably the least millennial, millennial. Like, well, I adulted, I adulted at an early age. Like, yeah, I was kind of forced and thrust into it. My parents yeah. moved out of Bakersfield when I was 18 and it kind of was there going from that age. So, well, that's a perfect transition though. Oh, um, so the next question is, yeah, is hashtag adulting hard? <laughs> oh, don't even get me started about this. Um, yeah, no, and it's I'm too late. I, it started, and, man. It like, started old, old man, grumpy Cody here. Like I have made comments on people's yeah, the curmudgeon Instagram, <laughs> Facebook, whatever it is. Like everybody's like, you know, 40 year olds with teenagers and, and, you know, who've been adulting far longer than I have are like, oh, uh, today I had to do the dishes and cook dinner. Like adulting is hard. And like, really? Like, okay. <laughs> you know what? I don't know. No, no. Sorry. Okay. So, well, it's, there is the trend though. That, so like you mentioned earlier, like buying a house, no one taught us in school how to buy a house. That's, there's yeah. a, that's a, that's a no lot reason. of, that's yeah. a, a pile of paperwork. At least you have to, to climb over to yeah. get that done. So um, I don't know if you've heard about this, but they do have like, adulting classes now a lot of times it's like like community colleges or whatever of like oh learn how to sew do learn how to cook learn yeah, yeah exactly so has that ever been something where you're like i don't know how to do this i'm gonna try one of these classes has that, has that ever crossed your mind no or have you done a class okay no so like the thing is is the reason why i mentioned like you know the reason why we're going to be renters for some time is because when i buy our first house like we buy our, we we want to make sure that we are a hundred percent sure like we are going to be there for like a while. And so like, you know, moving up to Modesto, we're probably going to buy our first home, either Modesto somewhere up here in Turlock, just because, you know, I'm a lead pastor now. So it's kind of something we got to figure out, but it's not, if it's hard, I'll ask somebody. That's all you got to do. If it's hard to ask somebody. <laughs> See, you I don't want to go things. sign up for a class, huh? No, because then you, you'd have to pay for it, and then you have then, extra student loans or whatever But then whatever you could go to class and take a selfie and put hashtag adulting is hard. No, then, yeah. <laughs> yeah, or hashtag <laughs> I'm figuring out adulting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and two, so what, one of the things I find funny is when the older generations complain about how we don't know how to do things, um, then it's fun when you just tell them, well, you know how, like, you learned how to sew and cook in, like, a home ec class in high school or junior high? But then because of budget cuts that your generation it took it out, push, pushed on our, on our education system when we were in school, not in power, that got cut for some reason. And now you're blaming us for not knowing how to do it. But we couldn't yeah. learn the way you learned. My, my so favorite fun. meme, my favorite <laughs> meme that I shared around was this uh, like spare tire cover on the back of a, a Jeep or something. And it just showed the gearing configuration of a manual transmission yeah. and it said millennial anti-theft device and so it was obviously making fun of 
the perceived fact that millennials can't drive manual transmissions. I love vehicles. driving manual sti- like sticks, man. They're great. I, I wish. Fun. I wish I still had a stick, man. Yeah, I, know, I, I learned how to drive. But on that. the funny thing is, the premise is flawed in that it's great. Uh, why don't these millennials know how to drive manuals? I'm like, why didn't you teach them? Do your well, kid, that's the thing. Like, I taught myself how to, how to drive, drive one. I taught myself because we didn't have one when I was learning, like in high school, and I was learning how to drive. My parents didn't have a manual. So, like, how are they going to teach me? Most cars are made automatic now. Yeah. Well, me and yeah. you probably learned how to drive a manual in the same car, which was your older brother Pete's Toyota No, Corona. he wouldn't let me drive that because he was a jerk. <laughs> oh! Um, I had to teach myself in my what? Ranger that I got in Kansas City. Oh, I you bought did that truck later on in life? And I didn't know how to drive it, so I had to have a, go- a friend go with me across Kansas City, like uh, across the whole group of that city, like the, a lot of that city to drive it home because I couldn't get it home. Dude. And then I just figured it out on my own and I didn't do it in the way my dad, like later on my dad saw me and I was like, why do you do this? It's like, cause you never taught me. <laughs> I taught myself. This is how I do it. And so it was really funny to me, but it was miserable. Like it took forever, but I figured it out and I can drive stick now. Yeah. Wait, can I share a story? Uh, a real millennial story, but I wasn't a millennial. Uh, do it. Okay, so I my my dad my my first car that my parents bought for me was like a '96 Toyota 4Runner, and it was a stick shift. But I had like the worst like time trying to drive this thing and try to figure it out. And so I you know kicked my feet and complained enough to where my parents decided to let me drive their 2001 Toyota Tundra. Um, long story short, uh, I totaled their Tundra because oh, they let no. me drive it. Yeah. <laughs> so you you drive was, a big fancy. Uh, automatic car yeah and so then i eventually i was forced to learn how to drive stick just because i totaled my uh parents truck so yeah yeah. that's fantastic yeah right hashtag adulting is hard cody you should have taken a picture and posted it yeah well there was no um and none of that it was what (laughs) i was was like a high school senior in high school so there was there were cameras though my space but up in that solid point there was no selfie you know i don't think there were hashtags either there wasn't no I don't right, know, Cody. like Zynga and MySpace had any of that stuff by then. <laughs> you guys remember Zynga? No. <laughs> I don't. No? Yeah, That's right. great. That was social media before everything. That's crazy. We'll, we'll have to, we'll get our interns on that and we'll talk about it next week or something. Yeah, you can embed your own music in the background. It's pretty swell. You should that, take a look at it. That's cute. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Cody, speaking of adulting, when you adult, like say go shopping, be honest, how much LaCroix and or avocados are in your cart? <laughs> well LaCroix uh you say LaCroix uh never or had a substitute never I don't like sparkling uh anything I rarely ever drink soda didn't drink LaCroix sparkling whatever Perrier or I don't know my like, man dude I can't stand that stuff uh avocados I am allergic to them oh so, yeah dude you can't even be a millennial that that's literally enough for your millennial no, yeah. car to be yoinked dude you can't be a millennial and-, and I'm not even joking I'm not saying that to be like anti like no I'm allergic <laughs> to most like if it's a fruit I, I'm bound to be allergic to it like oranges pine uh, strawberries watermelon yeah I don't do well that's that. crazy yeah so it's a big fat goose egg yeah wow I don't Maybe. know I mean, we've asked people if they put avocado on their toast, but I don't know if anyone's flat out said they don't ever eat it, especially since they're allergic to it. I purposely, uh, yeah, I mean, I have to make a habit of making sure when I like, you know, today I actually went to a Mexican restaurant and like I got a burrito 
um, that had avocado on it. And I said, I do not want the avocado on there, please, because I'm allergic. Or sometimes and every time I'm with somebody, they're always like, well, just get on the side. I'll eat it. And I'm like, all right, whatever. So <laughs> just as long as it's not touching my food and I die. As long as it's not touching my food. Yeah, I won't die. It just I get a like, real allergic, itchy reaction in my mouth. And See, I'm not it. allergic, but I just hate it because it's disgusting and slimy. And but... it is pretty gross. It's like a slug. Oh my goodness. <laughs> like, yeah, it's not appealing whatsoever. That's crazy. Okay. Well, um, so this is a, a, a trend we've found on this podcast too. Since you're a man, I mean, you obviously have to have a beard because you're a millennial. Yeah. Um, so do you purchase beard oil or other no. beard products? Um, no. No, I do not. Absolutely not. Um, I trim my beard once in a while when my wife gets mad and tells me to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here's a question then. It's not a special product, but do you use shampoo in it? Do you like clean it with shampoo every day? No, no, I do not. Gross. Can I be, no, I, I don't. No, I see. I, I use regular bar soap, like a bar oh, soap. Oh, okay. So, like, if I'm washing my body, I will use regular whatever the bar soap is. Okay. What do yeah, you use, exactly. Byron? Do you use shampoo or do you use bar soap or what? I use shampoo. Um, I don't know if it's better or not, but I, but I mean, yeah, I whatever. So okay, real real talk, confession time. I, I can't remember what the guy's name is, but he was on Last Man on Earth, and he was on Jimmy Fallon. He had the huge nasty beard. Yeah, he's from SNL. I can't remember mm-hmm. his name. Will uh, Will, Will um, not Will Arnett, but yeah. Will Will uh, the other one. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Parnell? No, that's Chris Parnell, different guy. Anyways, yeah, whatever. The the show was about how much fecal matter the average beard had. I was like, yeah, what the gross. And so I, ever since watching that, and apparently he didn't have that particular trace element in his beard, so he did a good job. Um, I kid you not, there's times where I will shampoo, rinse it out, then I'll face wash, and I'll use face wash all throughout my beard as well. Rinse that out, and then I will still use like my body wash or bar of soap. So triple, triple washing. There's poop. There's bound to be poop in your beard. I guess so, man. I don't. I don't. Wow. Wanna, I'm not sure yeah. why. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. People just should have basic hygiene. But it freaked me out a little bit. I'm like, this thing's on my face. Well, part of it is every time you flush a toilet, poo gets in the air. That's special. There's so got the a lid doesn't cover everywhere. the whole thing. There's, well, then you can't. There's, no. <laughs> See, like, you know how many people, like, so, like, even, like, you're talking about Sunday morning church. Like, you know how many people, like, probably pass gas during Sunday morning service. <laughs> Which is so particulates, yes. Li- every Sunday, you're probably walking through church, and you're uh, fighting off the people. Well, you've been cr- crop dusted by somebody. And I'm yeah. trying to say. I, I, actually, <laughs> I actually have to deal with poop daily, too, with just changing diapers. So, I'm yeah. sure it's on my hands, and then my beard itches. So, I'm a little bit weirdly ocd about my beard cleanliness but i've never really articulated it in that way so these these are my confessions like usher right wasn't that is usher it album? is it bad that you're you're particular about not having poop on you though because i feel like that's a pretty good hygiene idea. i mean oh, I'm like you're talking about josiah yeah yeah i mean because he yeah, said he's like, I, get, I get particular like when I, I change diapers and stuff i, I, I try to touch myself and like yeah clean. Not bad. it's poop dude you yeah, don't want it on you. I get it. But you know, you both know me. I'm not necessarily super OCD about anything. So that's kind of a little bit maybe out of character for me. I'm a little more chill about stuff like that. So I mean, but... I, I, I deal with poop at work and I, I go out of my way to make sure it doesn't get on me. 
That's good. <laughs> because it's I poop. Hope so. Yeah. Like or vomit. I deal with that too. That's but like, fair. Those are things I try to keep off of my body, especially when it's not mine too. That, that's even worse. Uh, if when we're it not careful, to you. If if we're not careful, it's gonna turn into a poop podcast. So let's well, wrap up. We need something to apologize for next week. <laughs> next week we're gonna apologize <laughs> for this being the poop podcast. All right. Final oh. question, Cody. And to up to this point, you've answered a good amount of them, maybe over half with sort of millennially-ish answers. Um, but final question. Did you know we are now old enough as a generation to become president? That's, that's awesome. not really that's not really no, the that's question. Not, that's, that's not right, is it? No, it is. Absolutely. We, well, so the you have to be 35 to 35. by election day, right? Okay. The oldest millennials are 38. It? The oldest millennials currently are 38 years old. Okay. This is the first election. Good this, for us. This isn't really – so this is kind of a tongue-in-cheek question. Since this is the first potential election for millennials to actually run for president, we're going to ruin it though, right? Absolutely. Yeah. We're <laughs> bound to. <laughs> like, it's just another thing we're going to get you know, yeah, it's, there's going to be a right a write in vote, uh, something ridiculous because we're all going to try to yeah have our our candidate who's the 35 year old schlub from someplace. You know, we want them. We want them to sit up there. Absolutely. I you mean, know, is it any different than the politicians we have that are in now? I mean, hey, oh, I'm no. serious. Like, hey, it's bad. Like, nice. Came out swinging. No. So it reminds me of sorry. We talked about it earlier. Like. Parks and Recreation. I just watched the episode the oh. other day where they vote for the new slogan. Oh, yes. and it's like they write in uh, the douche writes in uh, what is it? Has everybody write in um, uh, the Pawnee, the place where uh, yeah. what's her name has to stick up her butt? Yeah, that's gonna be us. We will we will vote uh, something ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> that's bound to happen. Uh, but that's... That'll be our candidate, Leslie so, Nope. Yeah, that's what it is. So I think you. Uh, I think you. You kind of hit the nail on the head, though. Millennials are whatever they are. Like, that's the whole point of this stereotype thing is that we are just a group of people that were born at the same time. That's the only thing that really defines us. And so we don't always fit into the the classic stereotypes of loving avocado and LaCroix and living in our grandparents or parents' basements or not moving out or whatever. But that's kind of the fun. Obviously, we tried to skew it just to make you sound more stereotypical, but that's the fun that we have. I mean, unless you're Mo, you're not going to be a or, yeah, unless you're a walking, stereotype. talking stereotype. But um, basically, think, yeah, Mo Mo compensates because <laughs> he's on the older side. <laughs> so, anyways, that's we could write him in for president. That's money dog. Oh my god, yeah, yeah money, Mo, money Mo dog. Money. I'm Show just going to put dog. thickly, most thickly, bro man, bro man, dude. Bro, man, dude. Mo, if you're listening, I love quiet, you. Quiet as dirt, bro. That's quiet as dirt. But, uh, <laughs> that was a good new one. I'm excited about that one. Anyway, so with, with that being said, we're going to transition. We're going to actually do it a little different than normal because what we really want to talk to Cody about is how, as a millennial, and this is the tongue-in-cheek transition we're going to make, you pitched a fit long enough that someone let you become a lead pastor. Is that, is that true? That's how the story went, Cody? Uh, yeah, <laughs> kind of, sort of. <laughs> that was what you were joking with me and on Martin the joking about side of before things before yeah. we recorded. So let's get into it. Before we hear this, uh, what I can only imagine to be a very uplifting story of how you millennialed your way into being a lead pastor, Cody. We like to ask all of our guests. You're so <laughs> insulting to our That's guests awesome. on so many Thank levels. You. Yes. you're just like, I'm well, scum. since you're a lazy idiot, let's just keep going. I'm scum. And, uh, <laughs> 
like you insult our guests almost every single week. I'm I sorry. Don't even, I don't even have the education required to be around that. So just thanks oh for rubbing my, that in. Oh my goodness. There's uh, a point to it, obviously. There's a, if I, I would have known this, I would have never came on oh this stupid goodness. podcast. I don't even really You shouldn't it. have really. And to be fair, you knew better, Cody. You know what I'm like. So Oh, I, I mean. know. Yeah. I've read <laughs> yeah. your book. Oh, oh snap. <laughs> You're one of the like twelve. Ruining the church with Pokemon Go. Come on, man. (laughs) Yeah, you're one of the ones that's on it. You're one of those, yeah. Oh snap! Speaking of ruining the church, um, what is the church, dude? Because the whole point, literally, the reason, the segue, the purpose is that we we have all these labels that we place on an entire group of people. Sometimes it's millennials. Sometimes it's a whole bunch of other things that we do within the the walls or the circles or the communities of things we call church. And as a result, a lot of times people say, see ya, and they don't want to be a part of it. So to really fully talk about this thing that we all have been a part of in some sort of official capacity, we need to hear in your own words what we're talking about. So give it to us. What's church, man? What is church? Uh, I mean, simply, I just, I mean, group of people who love Jesus, man, really. I mean, and then, in whatever varying forms that looks like, whether that is at a house or if it's at the park or a church building or, you know, wherever on the street, it just group people will come together because they love Jesus. And then, you know, their main goal is to not just love on each other out of that love for Jesus, but then go on and love the world. And obviously, you know, that can look like a million different things, but I think, you know, the church is, you know, essentially, I mean, at the heart of it is just people come together because of their common desire for Jesus, plain hmm. simple. So then, why being that you know maybe not actually stereotypical, but yeah, by by proximity because of your age, why are you still a part of it? Generally speaking, most of us left. Why didn't you leave, or did you for a period of time? No, I, I've never left the church. I'm 31 years old, and I have probably missed maybe a handful of. Sundays and you know weekly like church over a course of those years like for me I, I honestly would say it probably started out of being conditioned you know like I was born into a family that all I knew was church you know yeah, Sunday you morning yeah Sunday Sunday morning church Sunday night was church you know we rarely ever went on vacation you know um, and missed a church Sunday like you just all those things it became a habit and then eventually like you know and I know people can take that habit and go two different directions. You can either learn to find Christ and be passionate (laughs) about Christ out of that habit. Or then there's some people who are soured by that habit and then turn the other direction, you know? And I just think because I had good godly parents and like also honestly, like in high school, I met my closest friends and I think, you know, having that connection at church is probably what, what kept me going into college. And then there was, it was always built out of relationship. You know, I could honestly say that too, you know, in high school, I had really good friends, best friends that I met in the church, um, in college in that age group that is, you know, so volatile and staying in the church, you know, the statistics are high for them to leave. Like I met my future wife when I was in college and then, you know, there was always connections. And I, you know, from an early age, I just wanted to be involved in church. So I, I think, a lot of reasons, man. I can't really kind of go back and say one reason why I'm still in church, but there's a, a few. So do you do you love relationships most? Because that we always yeah. ask our guests, what's their favorite part? What do they love most about the church? Yeah, no, for me it's relationships, hands down. Um, 
like part of what, you know, the fruit that's come out of me being in the church, part of the church, my whole entire life are relationships. Mm. Um, you know, that can be a good thing or a bad thing. I have very few people in my life um, that I would say I'm close to that don't have a relationship with the Lord. So like when it comes to actually going out there and, and ministering in a social setting or, you know, relationally, I have to stretch myself because a lot of my friends and, and family, you know, do know Christ and, uh, my, my friendships and relationships has been, have been built out of, of this community that you'd, you'd call church. So, yeah, I, we, I love it. I love the relational aspect of it. Hands down. We have uh, a lot of guests that share, uh, answers this final question and Byron and I have shared this as well. Um, we think the church has some things that it needs fixing. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know if you would agree and if you have examples of what that might be. Yeah. Oh man. A lot. No, I'm so um, <laughs> No, I mean, coming, like, uh, that answer for me has probably changed in, like, the last six or seven, you know, weeks. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going to get real personal. No. Um, it's no, been that's good, man, because that's, that's kind of what I want to talk with you about. Well, so. Totally. You know, so when I, you're, you're, you're a youth pastor and, you know, you've been in the same location for 10 years where I was in Bakersfield you know, you see things from a youth pastor perspective, not necessarily always as lead pastor perspective or, you know, preaching from the pulpit every Sunday. And then when you actually like step into that, you begin to kind of start seeing things from a different angle. And it's not, you know, and it's, it's this way probably at all churches, but I think that, you know, there's a, I think all churches probably struggle with this is complacency, you know, that we get so comfortable with church, you know, meeting our needs you know, that's what it is, you know, just meeting our needs that we really make it an e kind of intrinsic thing where we're not really going out there outside the walls and, you know, evangelizing in our, you know, relational settings at grocery stores, things like that. And, and church really is kind of, it's kind of a social club, you know, it really honestly is. And, and out of that, you know, I think that somehow as pastors and, and leaders in the church, we've got to figure out how we change that culture, um, you know, making the church kind of begin to focus their views, not on themselves, but really looking to, you know, the, the world and what we can, we're called to kind of do, because it is, you know, bluntly, I think that your 21st, your average 21st century American church grower is selfish. You know, if I can and be as blunt in saying that, and um, I, mean, I do. I, I don't think I'm going to disagree. Are you going to disagree with that, Byron? <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> not at all. You know, and then that too, being like, said, yeah, I'm even my, myself, I can be selfish. Yeah, like it's, no, it's totally, me yeah, too. Yeah, I'm absolutely. part of the problem. Absolutely, I'm not trying no. to put that on everybody else. I do the same stuff, and I know better is the thing because I've been in ministry and I still mm-hmm. do stuff and go, "Why did I just do that? Like that's not okay." So, like, yeah, I'm part of the problem too. I'm not putting it on yeah. everybody else. It's, it's it's a it's a problem and for sure. No, it it we're is. You know, even to continue even, in that vein. Yeah, no, like I said, yeah, no, like in leadership, you know, like I said, like when I was a youth pastor, I thought I had the remedy for it. And, you know, then you, know, <laughs> you, you step back and you realize like, wow, you know, you're, you're part of the problem, you know, it just, so it is, you know, as, as even in these last like six, seven weeks of, of being in this position, you know, I've realized like, man, like there's a lot that I do uh, as, as a pastor and even like as, as, you know, regular attender, congregant or whatever, did that I'm inherently selfish in the way I, operate church because you know oh the music wasn't on par or um i didn't like the way so-and-so was doing that even though you were doing it that you know greeting or, or whatever it is i'm being very general not specific specifically speaking to where i'm at now but you know i think that 
inherently, I think a lot of us have selfish views of the way we think church should look like, you know, I think that we run the risk of trying to create it into our own image. And sometimes that looks comfortable to us. It's what's comfortable to us. So, so not to sound like I was being too conniving, but this, you know, this is exactly what I was hoping we could talk a lot about. You are at this kind of really beautiful, poignant, significant moment in your life where you have this transitional phase. Uh, I was joking to our listeners. I'm really not. I mean, I'm probably a little bit of a jerk. Not as much of a jerk as it sounds like when I call him uh, a t- stereotypical millennial who whined his way into lead pastor. That's just a joke. Um, uh, but he, he just recently, you said six weeks ago, became a lead pastor, right? February 17th. Yeah, I think six, six weeks, seven weeks. And, and I think there's something that maybe it has to be experienced to transition from what we would call an associate role where you're working for the lead pastor, but you're still a pastor. You can do youth ministry. You could be a worship pastor. You could be in children's ministry. You know, the, the list goes on and on and on. But once you change that role, obviously your perspective shifts a lot. So I think this is an amazing time where you don't have a choice, but to kind of take inventory and really evaluate, Oh man, you know, I thought that was really important, but now I realize I have to do this as well. And I, I kind of think that that's such a perfect thing to talk about, particularly on this podcast. I was, I told Byron, I said, we need to get this guy on the podcast because he just became a lead pastor. This, his, his thought process, his frame of mind right now is going to go away right now. It's really raw. It's really kind of new. He's kind of grappling with the transitions and it's the perfect time to really hear the unfiltered, uncensored, on whatever you know polished because in a couple of years it might be more of a, a polished retelling of what happened but right now it's like nitty-gritty raw so that's all i want to talk to you about is this transition from associate to lead yeah. um, which is exciting for me because it reminds me of when i went through the same period of uh <laughs> i jokingly called it putting my big boy pants on so yeah doing big church <laughs> <laughs> is that what it feels like to you though i mean am i alone in that is it like oh man this is for real suddenly yeah, well, no, yeah, you go from, you know, one week, you know, playing, uh, eating gross eating games with teenagers <laughs> to two weeks, all of a sudden you're being uh, prayed over by your district superintendent and you're responsible for a, a, a total church. You're just like, okay, wow. Yeah, it's like night and day, man. Totally two, <laughs> di- two different worlds. And that's why I said, you know, really like, you know, when I was a youth pastor, I, I would view all the problems of the church from a youth pastor's point of view. And I'd ask myself, why are they not doing this? Why are they not doing this? And then within seven weeks of being here, you know, I step back and I'm like, okay, wow, this is why they're not doing this. And this is why this <laughs> which happened. Is where, which is where that joke came from, the whining yeah. youth pastor thing, right? Cause- it, it really is, you know, like, I, I know it's maybe like, you know, sound too like, oh yeah, my eyes been open so quickly. But I mean, that's cliche is that's kind of sound. It is like, you know, been totally humbled in this last seven weeks and, realizing, you know, with everybody, you know, the conversations I've had with people and just kind of seeing where they're at. It's like, okay, everybody comes from different backgrounds. Everybody comes from different settings. I've got people who come from, you know, um, Jehovah Witness background, who come from um, no church background. I've got a lot of families who are come from, you know, adoption and, and just all sorts of different fi- family dynamics. And it's like, okay, when I was a youth pastor, my eyes probably weren't open to all of those dynamic dynamics and unique settings and, and reasons for why people were where they were. And now that I'm intentionally and as part of my you know job as shepherd of the church, getting to know people, I'm like, okay, that's probably why 
a lot of people aren't, you know, involved or whatever it is. And like I said, I'm not speaking directly to, you know, where I'm at now, but just generally like, okay, yeah, you, you really have to get to know people at a personal level before you begin to kind of start wondering and complaining why, you know, they're conditioned to do this way, <laughs> this, conditioned to do things this way. But yeah. Had you always wanted to be a lead pastor or felt like you were going to be one? Yeah, I, I knew pretty soon. I knew pretty quickly, like right out the gate, you know, was a youth pastor from 2009 to just this last, you know, January. And within the first two years, I think it was the first time, I think it was July, actually first year, July 2010, uh, when I preached my first sermon. Josiah, you were there. You and Andy did worship that day. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Oh, my man. first my first sermon is a little rough. Um and it was very comic book related. Like I used of a lot of comic book course references. It was. Yes. Fantastic. Um I wish I know. was there. Yeah. And yeah, and I remember stepping down from the pulpit that day in 2010 saying, you know what? I could totally do this. Like I, I want to be, you know, lead pastor sooner than later. Like I knew kind of early on that God wasn't calling me to be a, a like a, a youth pastor my whole entire life. Okay, so then I have a question. So since this podcast is no longer sponsored by Josiah's book, <laughs> maybe people have forgotten that that's kind of why we started this. Yeah. He wrote a book about how things went his first year of being a lead pastor. Um, but he did share slightly what, what the process was to be to get there. But as a brand new lead pastor, like what was the whole process of how did you get from your church in Bakersfield to Modesto? Like wh what was in between all that? Like, Break it down for us, because this is a little different, I think, than it used to be. For So some of our older listeners might be curious, but I am, as someone who never made that jump in ministry, like, how did you end up from, you know, Bakersfield to where you are now? <laughs> Mine's totally different than Josiah. Um, <laughs> Perfect. That's even better. Josiah comes it. from the academia side of it, and I definitely... No, dude. Not. No, uh, the ongoing joke oh, is okay. I didn't go to seminary. That is the ongoing yeah, joke. Right. You, uh, yeah. All right. Whatever. Um, you were, you were bred to be a pastor from day one. I was working at a grocery store. Uh, okay, for, that's right. and then all of a sudden God pulled me out of that muck. Um, okay. I would always so, go to smart and final to see what's up with Cody. Yes. I got lettuce for sale. Uh, I was <laughs> okay. Perfect. So, Let's do this. So let me, let me explain. Okay. So, um, you know, for me, it was probably, I always kind of lose track of time, but maybe like the last, within the last couple of years, um, my desire to transition out of youth ministry, um, was, was, you know, um, kind of steamrolled, man. I really begin to get in a, like a frustrated place in ministry. You know, I want, I've tried to kind of step out of youth ministry to get my feet wet and just all sorts of different things, whether it was outreach or, just trying to do more within the church. Cause I, I got to a point where I knew God was calling me out of, out of youth ministry. I knew I was in my twilight. Um, I had the opportunity, well, the conversation started to, you know, have the possibility of being a campus pastor at a, a little bitty, like small church um, in one of our like sister towns. Um, and I was super excited about that. You know, like my pastor had me kind of come together with some ideas and, and thoughts and really kind of begin to put some, some thought and prayer behind it. And I did. And, long story short, things didn't, you know, pan out and, um, work out. And I grew like super frustrated out of that. And I remember going, I remember I was at coconut Joe's in Bakersfield. I'm like sitting there with my lead pastor and we're talking about this and, you know, I'm angry, I'm frustrated. And I, I remember he, you know, says something to me and I just kind of like just 
blew up on him and I let him have it, you know, Darren, if you're listening, I love you and I'm sorry for that. Um, <laughs> And I'm, I'm really open and honest about that. Even like, you know, um, just at where I was at Ridgeview, just, I told him like that, that is a life defining moment for me. And, you know, I just, I was so frustrated that things didn't work out that I was putting all this time into this. And, you know, he being a lead pastor for all these years was smart enough to kind of like, instead of getting mad at me, he just kind of said, you know what, you remind me of how I was when, you know, God was calling me out of youth ministry um, I was frustrated. I was angry. You know, things weren't going my way. And he's like, it wasn't because you're, you know, complaining or whining or, or whatever. It's because I honestly believe that God is tail- telling you it's time to get out of youth ministry, you know, that it's time to kind of transition out. And um, so he tried to kind of throw that, that, that warm out to the congregation to see if they could, you know, maybe, you know, if there's any way we can financially kind of hire me on as an associate. Like he tried whatever he could to kind of keep me at Ridgeview to see if, you know, they'd help out in the transition, doing whatever, um, that didn't work out. And so, um, he told me he went golfing with our district superintendent one day and he gave, throw my, threw my name out to him. And, um, he told me that and in my head, I'm like, yeah, I'm not gonna get a call back. Like, let's, let's, I'll start off right here. Like I'm not even ordained. Um, I'm not ordained in the Nazarene church, which is a requirement for lead pastoring <laughs> normally. Right. Yeah. Well, it's a, uh, it, it depends on who you ask. Uh, I mean, if you're gonna be if you're gonna be called to be placed in the more conventional ways, I guess I would say. All I know is my district superintendent put me in this place, so I guess it's right somewhere in the manual. Oh uh, no, there's definitely allowances for it. There's definitely, I know. but it's there, like there is special circumstances. And yeah, are you looking at it right now? No, I can though. See, that's why Josiah and our, our both of our tracks to lead pastoring are totally different because he's that guy. He's the manual guy. No, the, I'm not. The, the oh my guy. goodness, no, I'm not. Yeah, that's totally a non-millennial thing to do. Um, There's actually so... <laughs> a far more. We, we, one of our guests, uh, Moose, I'll shout him out. He yeah. is a district secretary. He is Ooh. the manual guy. Like, that is. He probably hasn't memorized. Um, he so... does. I ask him all the time. It's probably annoying to him. Like, hey, yeah, Moose, what's no, in the manual? <laughs> I, know, I know. I think, like, district license is kind of like – so I'm district license, and I've got a while. I've got some years, maybe a year or whatever. Uh, I've got classes. Let's just say I've got classes to go before – um, I am ordained and, you know, but long story short, I went golfing and I was like, yeah, there's no way I'm not ordained all this stuff. Like I've got all, I don't check all the boxes and, um, within a week, man, I get a phone call from our district superintendent who says, Hey, you know, I want to have lunch. Darren's kind of letting me know what's going on in your life. And I was like, okay, great. Like, you know, we're going to talk, nothing's going to happen. Um, so I sit there at lunch with him and he's like, Hey, I want you sending me your resume there's a few churches on the district, smaller churches, obviously, they're not going to give me a church of, you know, 300 plus, um, you know, he says, I'm going to give you, you know, your resume and float it around. And so this was last December, not of 2017. Um, I had my first interview at a church here in the district. Um, they ended up hiring somebody else. And then for the last year, just kind of, he kept floating my resume around and long story short, um, one of the churches here at Cornerstone, they're lead pastor retired in, in July. And, um, I knew that, um, he was going to retire well before the church did, you know, our district superintendent kind of dialogued with me and said, Hey, this is the church I think is going to be right up your alley. They're definitely open to change. And, you know, definitely isn't the type of church who's going to, you know, let's be honest, there are some churches that would never in their wildest dreams or even, even entertain the thought of hiring a non-ordained pastor, let alone a pastor that doesn't have a I have a degree in English from Cal State University Bakersfield, or or just a thirty-one year old or thirty-one year old pastor, whatever education, age. There's a lot of reasons. so many reasons to disqualify you. Yeah, 
and I say dude, you know, a lot or whatever. You know, <laughs> and you yeah. preach with comic book. <laughs> and I read a lot. I read comic books and, you know, I'm, I'm a nerd. I have tattoos and, you know. Ooh, just, yikes. Ooh, Let's uh, <laughs> not even get there. That's a whole nother <laughs> podcast, folks. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. It really you know, is, he, actually. He, he kind of told me, he's like, you know, they're, they're, they're open. And um, I, my wife and I had a little, like, you know, a while to pray about it and think about it and um yeah it opened up and you know we started the process in november um and here i am now so it was so for our nas nerds just so we're clear you're assigned or were you called i was called i was called by, i was by the church i was called by the church yep i was called by the church and i came december 16th and did my meet and greet and preached and you know i did the whole interview with the church board in november and yeah, they. I, I accepted the call actually on the day after Christmas, so December twenty sixth of two thousand eighteen. I accepted the call to be the lead pastor there. And here I am. So I totally opened the manual just for this. By the way, you um, can be you can be a licensed minister on the elder track. So it's all kind of under the yeah. pur- purview of the yeah. the dis- which is just nas nerded stuff for like what license you have in pastoral ministry. Also, just curious, how many churches are in your district? Oh, I don't know, a lot. There's quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, so I'm on the central California district. There are like maybe five, four or five churches that are over, you know, 300 people, I would say. And then the rest of them are all kind of floating around. But it's from Sacramento to Bakersfield, right? It's no. So Modesto, where I'm at now, like we are pretty, pretty far up there. I think there may be like Riverbank or one of the other okay. churches that are north. But this, this DS oversees a bunch of he churches. Is, he covers a lot of ground, about three hours, three and a half hours, four hours worth of traveling time. So six weeks ago, this DS, which I used to actually work for, which is funny, um, he, uh, he installed you. And yeah. in that moment, you basically were handed the reins over to a church. And now you are making all of the decisions Whoop, whoop. Yeah. <laughs> how do you feel about that <laughs> how do i feel about that's I a mean, loaded, question. That's honest, a loaded if, question if you're honest okay I'll, I'll i'll give it a little more no be, no i'll answer it. i'll i'll, I'll uh, uh, can i be honest with you yeah and, be real be real no, man it's overwhelming okay shadow of a doubt if i can be honest and open it is overwhelming and it's not even like this spiritual dynamic of being a lead pastor of, of a church it's you know you uh, so this last week I'm walking this last weekend, you know, or yesterday or Thursday, I'm walking around and, you know, I've got weeds that are in the parking lot, weeds that are in the flower beds. There's, there's paint that needs to be patched. There's a sound booth that needs to be remodeled. The bathrooms last week during a funeral service um, flooded in our fellowship hall. Um, there are locks in the doors that don't work. There's like maintenance things that you have to do. That now you notice because you're on the hook for it. Right? That's exactly what it is, you know. And so it's like you know when you transition from you know being a youth pastor who was complaining about everything to stepping into a church, you begin to realize, okay, this is why a lot of this stuff happens and why we're not as you know out there or whatever it is. What makes us tick? But you know, as, as yeah, in church operation just totally changes the way you view it. And so you know, you're walking around and like for me, like I'm like okay, now I'm responsible for making sure all this stuff gets fixed. And like, I have non-paid staff. Um, I've got, the only other people who are paid here at the church are two like wonderful uh, like ladies who do our janitorial who attend the church. You know, they come on Saturdays and clean things up. But for the most part, it's me, um, the old retired pastor. He's, he um, is actually, he has, the plan is, is he wants to be unretired. And he's now my, my children's pastor, him and, him and um, his wife. 
Um, so I've got children's ministry covered and I've got a youth pastor who's getting his district license this year who covers that. And so I have like the basis, the basic ministries taken care of. But you um, also got, have to oversee them. But I, I oversee that. But like for me, like the most like it's not just that. It's like I said, it's like the small things that you begin to notice <laughs> that you're like, I have to fix this. This needs to get fixed. This needs to get fixed. And so it, it is. And so you have to really um, you have to really be, you have to be real with yourself and ask yourself, what realistically can you get finished within, you know, a couple months while you're still commuting? And so I've really had to step back and evaluate and be intentional about creating like lists of like, what can I realistically and reasonably commit myself to while I don't live in Modesto full time. And I don't know if we established this already for the listeners. I live in Modesto three days out of the week. And then, yeah, I already, I said we talked about it a little, little bit, bit, but it's worth yeah. clarifying because your family yeah. will move at the end of the school year. Right? Yeah. So my, my wife has to finish out the school year. She's um, a teacher. She teaches special education in Bakersfield I've got two boys, a five-year-old and a three-year-old, a two-year-old, sorry, and then one on the way. We have another baby due in July. And so, you know, they live in Bakersfield, and I come up here Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So, obviously, it's going to change when everyone's there. Well, I mean, not obviously. It will change to some degree when everyone's there. But, I mean, there's things that I honestly – my the last lead pastor I worked for, he had this joke, and it was like – you know, I can't, you said something to the effect of uh, lead pastor jokes or something. It was just what I took as a lead pastor joke. Was like Sunday comes quick. I'm like, okay, but it's, it's the same seven. I don't, what's the, di-? but once you actually preach every week, your week, especially in, in kind of our context and culture sort of can revolve around a sermon and whether or not you've spent adequate amount of time on that. And that's a whole like amorphous thing, right? Cause what is Absolutely. enough? What's enough time? What isn't? I mean, before this, I'm curious what Byron's answer is. Can you count <laughs> the amount of times you've preached? Like, uh, for oh, you asking Byron or me? Both of you ever so, like so for you, Cody? It's before you became a lead pastor. I'm yeah. curious how many times you ever preached. And Byron, not just you know, not not necessarily. I'm not going to belittle this, but I'm going to say at big church preaching. So not necessarily like youth. I led a, a sermon for teenagers thing, but actually multi-generations listening to you speak. Can you guys come up with a number yeah, for, easy enough? Yeah. yeah. For me is, you know, I only had the opportunity to preach when, you know, my pastor was on vacation. So, or, or whatever. So about three or four times a year, you know, you multiply that by what eight ish. You got 32, maybe th- around 30 ballpark, 30 times. I've probably preached over the course of my youth ministry career. So if you had church. once a quarter to preach that gave you in theory, three months to figure out a sermon. Oh, I wrote, I, yeah, it took me all three months. Now I'm trying to figure <laughs> out how to write a sermon <laughs> three months to one week. What about you, Byron? Did you ever preach a big church? Oh yeah, a lot. And I, I actually help fill pulpits sometimes. Um, I did. I haven't now like recently, but like sometimes when a pastor, like in a church, that's like down, like in my area, Especially in the Nazarenes, like when I was in Hawaii, I did that several times at other churches. Um, so I got, I got more opportunity in the short time I was there than other places, but probably 20 times the most. But it's still so the with shift. the three different churches I worked at, my guess would be under 20. But my thing was, I didn't have like I didn't plan a sermon for three months like some pastors do when you can do that. Um, I tried to do it like the week before. Like going into like, I try not to like give myself too much time because it was, I don't know, I was busy too. I was always bivocational, so that changed things too. So, 
yeah. I just I just find it interesting because right before I became a lead pastor, I preached probably quarterly or maybe more, maybe a little more than quarterly um, at the last place I was at. And before that, uh, I didn't get as many preaching opportunities at the 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 other positions I had held. Um, and uh, so it's it's a lot to to jump from once in a blue moon to every week bringing it right because because the expectation is like you're bringing it you 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 know spend all this time it's well thought out you're fully into it because it was one thing for me to be taking like the three months of oh this is where josiah is at and just taking all that three months of energy and thought and consideration and prayer and research and just cramming it into one really you know passionate sermon or whatever and it's like obviously that's not that's not what you do week in and week out it's not that same sort of idea going into preaching is not the same when it's week in week out. Yeah. Yeah. I would say like one of the, like the, you know, most difficult thing, not difficult. Uh, I don't know, maybe difficult, you know, is that like, you know, how can you accomplish trying to figure out how to accomplish everything you need to accomplish in a week. And on top of that, write a sermon, you know, and make sure it doesn't suck. Um, yeah. Uh, from, from, for me, like the transition has been weird because, you know, I am like my work day, my work week basically runs Monday to, you know, Saturday. I do my, you know, I start beginning to write, start writing my sermons Mondays, Tuesdays at home when I'm in Bakersfield. And so I have to do a lot of like that. I do I get an opportunity to do a lot of that when I'm at home because I'm not here physically at the church to do all the, you know, interacting and, and all the maintenance and the the building and assessing things, you know? And so by the, for me, it's what's been easy is so that way when I do finally get into Modesto Thursday night, I can spend the next two days working on, you know, cleaning out my, cleaning the offices and just kind of organizing things. And so it's, it's been nice so far, but I definitely think that when I move up here, it may be a little different. Well, it's a, it's a, I'm I've been a lead pastor for three years now and I've talked to lead pastors have been around for a long time. Um, the encouragement I've been given and that I guess I'll pass on is it's, it's a process that continues to evolve a little bit. So, you know, like the, the lead pastors I've talked to that have been lead pastors for a long time. They're still like, Hey man, I've been preaching 20, 30 years. I don't preach now the way I did even five, 10 years ago. It's different. The process, yeah. like I've grown, I've changed, I've tried out new things. And so, for me, you know, I guess it's a little less daunting now. I just know I'm going to preach every week. But at first it was this, oh, my goodness, is this even sustainable? How do they do it? Yeah, <laughs> That would be a huge transition for sure from, from yeah. what you're typically used to. Like, because the other thing is like the pressure of it. Like when you're in the like the the real services, like the, I say real, that's not fair, but it is. <laughs> the big church service. Like when you're in big church, like <laughs> they expect you to preach like better like it's supposed to be like you're that's like the pros uh, in yeah. a terrible way but yeah. like youth being a youth pastor like it's the minor leagues like but that's unfortunately people in the church but that's the thing, but, like, people in the church though act like it's not a big deal when you preach to yeah. kids and i'm like you know what i want to prepare as just as well as i can for them because i want them to get something out of it um but i will say like i i would spend time like and i would do sermon series with the kids like I, and i would plan it all out like pick passages and figure out kind of where i'm going and like this is where we're built. This is what we're building. This is what we're going off of that. And like, I took a lot of time to do that when I was a youth pastor. But the other thing is like, when you're the youth pastor, who's preaching once a quarter or less, you're not building off of anything. 
because you're not regularly preaching. So I feel like it's even harder sometimes yeah, to be like, oh, hey, one-off well, when they say like, yeah, they're like, oh, I'm going to be gone or we're taking a break in our, like the sermon series are going to stop. Like this one stops, this one's going to begin. So why don't you preach in between those? And it's just like, okay, like it's a one-off or what's even actually worse than that. I had a pastor who I worked for who would, he wanted me to preach, which I appreciated. I, I liked that. I like to preach, but he would put me in his sermon series. Like, okay, you're going to preach this week about the, this is the, this is the passage and this is what we're talking about as a whole, but it wasn't my sermon series. Yeah. Like, I'm like, well, where do you want me to go with this? Because like, I read this passage and it, it could be totally different than what you want. Like it was weird. So it's a strange thing to kind of like be thrown into that. So I feel like as a, as a lead pastor, it might be easier to kind of do your own thing or figure out how you want to do it. But that initial transition seems real rough to me. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, I would that'd say be that, huge like, for, for me. Like I am actually, you know, even though it's been a kind of a difficult transition, I'm trying to figure out how to write it and when to write it and just getting into that habit. Um, I'm actually more at peace preaching every Sunday here than I ever have been preaching once every quarter at Ridgeview. Because for me, it's like, you know, I step into the church and here at Cornerstone and they expect me to lead. Like I am, I am, they have called me to be their lead pastor. And so like, for some reason that's gives me peace to go up there and, you know, not obviously not wing it and just whatever it comes out of my mouth, they're going to eat it up. But it's just, you know, when I was a youth pastor, I felt like for me, like, I was at the same church for 10 years. Some of the people in that church knew me when I was a baby, like my family's tied to that church. So I felt like I needed to swing for the fences, not saying, you know, you're not supposed to every Sunday, but I felt like I needed to prove yourself. I had to prove myself every single Sunday because, you know, eventually if I wanted to be a lead pastor, I wanted them to take me seriously. I wanted them to, you know, see me as anything other than the kid that they changed the diapers of, or, you know, was running around causing trouble in youth group. And so for me, like, you know, my wife would attest to this, like I would read like, and my, the way I started like my preaching transition and like, I actually know, like, you know, I actually, I don't know if it's devolved or evolved, depending on how you look at it. Like I went from being a bullet point preacher to where I can kind of just put my thoughts together and, and then kind of flow off a bullet point to where now, like, I've transitioned to a manuscript preacher, you know, because I found that's easier for me to like just type out kind of my, my stream of thought, my consciousness, and just kind of throw that on there. But what I do is like, I would read it over to my wife over and over and just read it. So she'd, you know, like, is this okay? Like, do you think I sound, you know, is this good? And then I sound like an idiot. Like, is this going to be okay? And, you know, I'd always have to have her thumbs up and affirmation before I preached, but you know, here without being around my wife on Saturday nights before I go up to preach and, you know, just, realizing my place as lead pastor in this church, like I've felt more peace in the last seven weeks than I ever have over the last eight years preaching once in a while. And, and, you know, the big, the biggest part about it has just been trying to figure out the scheduling, the timing, you know, what part of my week is designated to preaching and, or schedule, you know, what's, what part of my week is designated to writing and, and thinking and processing and, and praying. And so, yeah. Well, so that's good too, that it's kind of changed for you because good luck finding a way to schedule that with your wife weekly while you also have four <laughs> no. kids. You said you have three no, now. No, and you have a fourth, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it'd be like, it'd be working, like, like, Oh, good luck, man. It'd be like <laughs> Friday, work. Friday night. I have to be like perfect time, like a perfect setting, you know, the uh, kids are in bed. I'm like, let's sit here in the, in the, in the kitchen with the lights on super low and just listen to me and, probably not no. gonna happen me and my wife have well-intentioned yeah. ideas to do stuff like that and then almost without exception in our current season of life with her being very pregnant 
it yeah. uh it basically turns into us asleep on the couch most yeah no days, absolutely so. yeah no and so like now now it's like one of those things where you know when she does move over here like i don't i don't see myself ever going back to that where i feel like i need to kind of read my thoughts or my manuscript and oh. go into detail well because it came from a point of insecurity right and it really is and you know I, like the last seven weeks man I, just stepping into this role like i do you know i feel secure in where god has placed me i feel secure in like my relationship with the people obviously you know i'm like my biggest kind of goal in this season to come and i've been telling people the church is i'm gonna you know preach try to preach as well as i can but then just develop relationships and there's been the security out of just kind of developing those relationships and, you know, um, understanding that these people, you know, have called me to be their pastor, not because, you know, they were, you know, their arms weren't twisted or they were in some place. <laughs> they weren't, they, they weren't like, yeah. in some place of desperation, it's just because they legitimately, you know, heard me preach my, my, you know, that Sunday I came, met me and my family and they, wanted you you. they wanted me i'm wanted you know and so um yeah so there's there's a little bit of validation a little bit of security a little bit of you know that's cool um yeah i feel a place of peace every sunday preaching and yeah that's good so then so then um as we wrap this up i'm just curious in the back of your head this happened with me i don't know if it happened with you byron um but cody i'm very curious to hear did you kind of get the sense that you had to do your time as an associate long enough before you were allowed to be considered for lead pastoral roles? Was that like a subconscious thing that you carried with you ever? That I had to prove myself at a... Or that you had to be an associate for long enough or you had to reach a certain age before it was reasonable for you to consider lead pastoring? Well, for me, like, honestly, you asked my... Like, I knew I wanted to, like, be a lead pastor pretty early out. And I don't know. I don't think I ever did. I don't know where I'm going with this. But I just know that, you know... As soon as I hit, I don't know what age, but maybe a few years ago when I really started wanting, feeling God, like, you know, calling me like, hey, you're, you're in your twilight of youth ministry. And the way I guess out of that, I started carrying myself in a different way and, and just really kind of started doing more in the church, preaching more and, you know, providing leadership. Um, no, I don't think I ever did. You know, I had a lot of validation at Ridgeview from people mm-hmm. who said, you know, I see like, I'll be like, you know, I don't know if I'm incriminating myself here, but like, you know, when I, when I, when I left Ridgeview, you know, there are, I don't want to like be tooting my own horn, but there were, you know, a handful of people in the church that wanted me to step in. Cause when I left Ridgeview, so the, you know, re, um, listeners know they were also um, in a pastoral search too. You know, when I left, there was no lead pastor and, you know, there were a handful of people that wanted me to be the lead pastor, but you know, God had other plans, you know, yeah. and and there's no like anger or bitterness at that, you know, it's all totally out of a place of peace, but, you know, because they've been able, they were, they were able to see that they, you know, that I, I was really in a, you know, being put in a direction from God to step into a lead pastoring role. Um, you know, and there are people who supported me in a lead pastoring, um, role, whatever that looked like. I don't think I ever really kind of ever thought that I needed to prove myself um, or whatever the question, I forgot the question, but you know know what I mean, right? Yeah. The gist (laughs) of what I was getting at is there seems to sometimes be um, subliminally, maybe this understanding that once you get to this age, it's more reasonable for you to become a lead pastor. Oh yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. No, like perfect example. There was a funeral service here yesterday and I met somebody and he's like, Hi, um, did you know the family? And I didn't do the service. We, I just, we just opened the church for them. Um, and I go, no, I didn't know the family. This is actually, you know, I'm the pastor of this church. And he shook my hand. He's like, wow, you're awfully young to be a lead pastor. And so, yeah, absolutely. I still get that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's yeah. the gist of what I'm getting at is because 
there's this cultural understanding. And then what's, what's interesting is that, you know, so oftentimes you'll have uh, a pastor who's been around the block and he is approaching retirement. He's like, well, back in my day, I was pastoring at 25. I'm like, I'm sure you were because most of you that are that age started young. Yeah. But nowadays it doesn't look that way. So yeah. it's just, it's a lot less common. I mean, we, we talk about it a lot, but pensions and benefits, which is our own denominations thing, just put it out there that the biggest age group of clergy in our denomination is 65 plus. Yeah. It's, yeah, no, I, I read that too. And it really honestly is. And um, yeah. And I mean, I'm glad that, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not much speaking selfishly because I got called to this church, but I, I'm glad that, you know, I would say there's kind of a youth movement happening like here, not just on central Cal. Cause there's some other pastors, you know, there's a pastor in Fresno who's kind of in his thirties and, you know, there's, there's a, a few other pastors who, you know, are on the younger age and i love that and i'm glad that it's necessary i mean whether or not people think it's a good idea it kind of doesn't matter at this point that's a little after the thought so it's it's just necessary so then i'm gonna ask you a final question yeah but i want you to mull it over and byron if you have anything to say about this chime in and you answer with your own byrony way um (laughs) but the question you know what I mean? Just that's just your yeah. Anyway, be the talent. I get it. Be the talent. A... Um, I'm just curious. <laughs> in this whole process, I I the reason I wrote my book is because I wanted to kind of grab that frame of mind that I was in because I was afraid I would lose it because there's something innocent, and pure, and raw about it. Um, but in the midst of your process right now, is there something that you think um, would be helpful or beneficial? Either a to the the up and coming lead pastors or B the church is hiring them. Like, is there something that maybe we could do better? Something that you think is really important for them to know something that's just super valuable takeaway from this process. Is there something you really think that, Hey man, this, this is something that I wasn't told about. I don't know, whatever it is, I want you to mull it over, but we're going to do our last little segment and then I want to hear your answer and then we're going to be done. Is that fair? Yeah. Sounds good. Okay, so our last segment is Share the Love. We actually don't have a Share the Love sponsor because we actually wanted to ask our listeners if they had suggestions. On this podcast, full disclosure, we we don't really make any money. I think we've made like $30, so we're really rich. We're Um, rolling. We're rolling because we pick sponsorships that don't pay anything. I don't know because we just aren't concerned with that. We do love the idea of sharing good stories, so our Share the Love sponsor section is basically sharing good stories of people doing good things in the community so for instance we had our just threads they print on non-sweatshopped shirts really interesting unique designs and they have an awesome promo going out there if you use millennial pastor on checkout at their justthreads.org, you can get 25 percent off we also shared the love with uh, a couple other of groups um one of our guests she is a part of this really interesting initiative where they're trying to train up female pastors and they're actually going to create this thing called sister house spelled h-a-u-s i believe um and i had to apologize because i just made too many sister act references about it but um anyways uh it's really cool it's really awesome the final thing was mentoring for ministry it's just this initiative our denomination is piloting that i'm privileged to be a part of where they're trying to do exactly kind of the things we're asking them to do on this podcast invest in us train us up equip us enable us to to continue the work of the church and even let our voices be heard, which I am very thankful for. So with that being said, listeners, have you got suggestions of things that we just don't know about that are just cool things that are going on that pertain to faith or culture, then hit us up. 
uh, let us know on Facebook. Let us know. And and these are things that we're not asking for money from people. We're just yes. wanting. We want to find a way to use this podcast and the limited reach we do have to help people do some good things. We don't want to just talk the talk. We're trying to find new ways and creative ways to be a part of it. Just just um, get exposure so, out there for them. So. Exactly. What little what little reach we have, we'd like to use it for good things. <laughs> yes. With that being said, that's the end of that. Cody, what's your answer? Uh, yeah, so I would say this to all the up-and-coming uh, lead pastors who you know, are transitioning from youth ministry or non-lead pastoring role, um, do your homework. Um, for me, like the biggest, one of the uh, you know, biggest transitional um, hiccups is just like we joked around earlier, they don't, you know, in school, they don't teach you how to buy a house or do your taxes. <laughs> There's no, um, not that I know of any educational courses on how to be a lead pastor and do year end budgets and handle, um, you know, denominational. Like right now I'm looking at a big old, you know, packet that came from mutual insurance agency that wants me to ask all these questions about stuff. I've no idea. Um, Oh, that sounds like fun. That or you, even, did, you didn't know you didn't know, right? I that's didn't know that phrase. I didn't know. And yeah. so, you know, that's one of those things I begin to realize that, wow, there's a whole lot of stuff that I have to do that nobody, you know, obviously I could have done my research and did more. And so in hindsight, they say hindsight's 2020. Um, if you're a youth pastor, yeah, and you want to get in lead ministering, sit, spend some time in the front office. Um, spend with some the time lead pastor. When the lead, with the lead pastor, with your church secretary, treasurer, learn this stuff because... Yeah, they don't, they don't teach you this. And then legitimately, once you are installed into a church, you yep. get kind of thrown to the sharks and you're <laughs> responsible for everything going forward. Like, yeah, you can call the district and I feel bad. I've been emailing our district secretary a whole lot about, about <laughs> stuff. But uh, well, we'll get you uh, we'll get you Moose's number so you can just bug him instead. Yeah, just he's yeah. a pro. He knows everything about the manual. So you can just go through him. Educate yourself <laughs> on that stuff, man, because it's all the clerical stuff that you don't know. Yeah, you can sure you can go up there and preach your heart out and, you know, have 50 people come to the altar on your first Sunday. But do you know how to send in your year and uh, pastor reports? Probably not. Uh, Probably (laughs) not. I didn't. I was like, what is this? (laughs) So what about the the established leadership? Is there something that maybe maybe they need to be more aware of that? Talking about like board members and stuff of people? The board members of the church, but also just like district leadership or current lead pastors that have up and coming associates. I mean... I would just say be be open to don't don't you know you look out throughout scripture man and there are people who are called at early ages you know teenagers who are doing like some pretty crazy and bold things for the kingdom of God and so you know don't limit God's movement to people's lives by age or gender or any of those you know really I think that it comes down like going back to what I said relationships get to know these youth pastors these lay leaders, um, these people who want to do things, you know, in the kingdom and, and really get to know them and, and engage their heart and really do what you can to kind of put them in the position to succeed. Like, that's all I have to say. Awesome. Is, you know, cause you never know, man, who's going to be the next, uh, Billy Graham. <laughs> well, the, the next, well, and the next the thing, thing is, we're going to hear is, is Cody writing a, the millennial pastor 2.0 book or something like that. <laughs> His go. first year. And I'm going to dedicate perfect. it to Josiah Jones. For yeah. My inspiration. <laughs> The other thing too for me, like uh, I know, just uh, I'm not the guest, but I'm gonna answer anyway. Um, I guess it, I guess we'll let it lie. I guess we're cool. No, with that. I'm 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 the town. I'm allowed to talk sometimes. <laughs> um, no, I would say too, like I'm, as a, someone who's never been a lead pastor, but like we do this like this dumb game at the top of the the show, and like oh, millennials get a bunch of like, we get crap for all kinds of stuff. The thing is, the church is changing if we like it or not. 
Um, and we're missing out on a couple of generations right now, like ours. And then the next one might be struggling too. So sometimes we have to be as a church and this is going to this. Is, I'm talking to myself as a lay person. We have to be open to be creative. Yeah. We can't just say, well, we've never done it that way. So that's not going to work because honestly, we might have to change some things and we might have to get over it because if we're really truly called to disciple the nations and, and, and reach people, like if you look at like the, Paul's ministry and how many arguments he had with the church in Jerusalem and like he did things differently, but he reached a lot of people. So like we have to find ways to be creative in ministry, not just say, oh, well, we have our building. They can come to us. They know what our services are because we put it on a sign, you know. Yeah. We have to reach our communities in new and exciting ways because we're kind of getting stale. So, no, absolutely. Yeah. I kind of go back to what I said too, you know, earlier about in the church or whatever, something that needs to be, to be worked on and, you know, complacency. Uh, it just, we got to get creative. We've got to start doing things outside the box. We really do. If we want to, we, we've got to really start um, reaching the youth movement of leaders who want to you know, do things in the church if we're going to really kind of keep pace with what's happening in culture. Equip, equip, equip yeah. the equip next the generation. generation. Absolutely. You know, cause yeah, we do, we do, you know, cause like you said, 65 is the average age of, of pastors. Eventually you're going to have to, you know, you're, you're not for those churches that these, these pastors are in, they're probably, and I'm not, I mean, be speaking too generally here. They may not be the churches of 500 and above. These are going to be the churches of, 40 and 50 and 60 people who this pastor has been the, the pastor of for years, you know? And so mm-hmm. you're going to need these younger pastors like myself and like Josiah, you know, to step into these, these churches who are, that are be small churches, you know, to kind of really, um, I would say go in there and, and shake things up if that, you know, makes sense. For sure. Man. Well, thank you so much, Cody. We, uh, we probably My need pleasure. to wrap this discussion up but we appreciate your time and we wish you well thank, and thank all of you. your adventures of learning what you don't know you didn't learn mm-hmm. and keep <laughs> us keep in touch let us know how things are going too man we're, oh yeah i will we're yeah, excited feel, to, feel know, free to listen when you write your book yeah no, yeah I, next week i'm going to officially announce the um start of my own podcast it's the millennial <laughs> Uh, pastor 2.0 podcast <laughs> brilliant well, hopefully we can be guests on that one <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely I'll, I'll try to have you guys on one week it's gonna be great okay cool <laughs> awesome well perfect cody thanks for being on the show yeah, no to, to cody to our listeners thanks for for participating in this um if you want to hear more from cody or from others that have been on the podcast before please subscribe please rate please review please do those things i think i'm supposed to ask every week you can also check out these general discussions having that we're having on an ongoing weekly basis on our Facebook page. We talk on Twitter. We, we share this stuff on Instagram. But in general, if you like to, to hear more about what millennials like Cody are doing, or you like hearing the faith-based work we are involved in doing in culture, then please join us next week on the Millennial Pastor Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Josiah. And I'm your co-host, Byron. Thanks. We'll talk to you next time.